Hi, everybody. Great to be with you again. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Peter Elwin, and uh, my wife Sue and I have been involved with St. Mary's for uh, quite a few years. Unfortunately, as a result of COVID, uh, we're having to be a little bit cautious, and so we're not coming to church and uh, sort of mingling with large crowds at the moment, um, but we're definitely following everything that you're doing, and uh, you're in our thoughts and prayers. So it's great to be able to uh, participate in the service in this slightly unusual way, and uh, I hope you'll uh, sort of bear with uh, the slightly remote presentation. So what we're thinking about today is 1 Corinthians 1, uh, verses 10 to 18, and thinking about unity. What does unity mean in uh, a Christian context? What is Paul talking about when he's talking about unity in the context of the Corinthian church? Now, Corinth was a large and uh, vibrant city. Uh, the church was small, it was relatively new. Paul had spent a year in Corinth founding the church. And uh, if you look at Acts chapter 18, you'll see the story where he was um, living with Priscilla and Aquila um, while he was there. And he worked as a tent maker with them. They were tent makers and uh, he was also a tent maker. So he was um, effectively earning his keep while he was also establishing the church. But the problem was after he left, uh, the people in the church began to focus on sort of who had baptized them uh, and which preacher they followed, whether it was Paul or whether it was uh, Aquinas or, or whether it was one of the others um, who'd been involved in establishing the church. And, and the start of the passage is a simple call for unity to stop focusing on the leaders um, and uh, the teachers, but to focus on what unites them. In other words, to focus on Jesus. But Paul goes on to say some things that are pretty important for us today. So this letter is not just a sort of historical record of Paul uh, trying to bring a, a new church back into back into line, as it were, and get them to, to sort of think about higher things rather than uh, their sort of baptismal heritage. Um, it's something that really speaks to us as Christians today. So what is Paul's picture of unity? Unity is a theme throughout Paul's letter to the Corinthians. In the first letter to Corinthians, in chapter 12, verse 12, uh, he's talking about the human body. Human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. He's talking about the church there and saying, look, the church is constituted of, of many different types of people, all doing different things, but they're all equally uh, important. And he makes the same point when he's writing to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 12, verse 5. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So when in verse 10 of um, this passage in Corinthians, he says, I appeal to you to be perfectly united in mind and thought, he doesn't mean I want you all to think alike with no differences of opinion or taste or feelings. I want you all to be complete clones. He's not asking them all to be like him. Um, he's not asking them all to be completely the same because he knows that God loves each of us as individuals. We're all loved for who we are. We're not uh, loved because we are very, very similar to somebody else. Um, we're not loved because we're very similar to someone special like a preacher or a leader, we're not even loved because we're like Jesus. Because when God starts loving us, which is right from the moment we're conceived, we're not like Jesus. 
God wants us to become more like Jesus, but he loves us just as much when we're a long way from that ideal as when we're a bit closer. So Paul's call for unity is not a call for everybody to be identical. So what does he mean by unity? Well, the point that Jesus, the point that Paul is trying to make is that Jesus has dealt with our sin. Jesus has healed our broken relationship with God. And Paul wants the Corinthians and us to live in that reality. Think about this example. If if you apply for a job or, or some sort of position where people are asking you about sort of, you know, your, your educational background, um, they will tend to ask, you know, where did you study? What school did you go to? Did you go to university or college? You know, which which one was it? But they're very unlikely to say, who was your teacher? Who taught you? In educational terms, it's it's what you've learned. It's 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 the degree or the qualification that you did uh, that's important, not who actually uh, ran the course, not who taught the lessons. And Paul is making a similar point. It's it's not important which part of the church you belong to or, or which preacher you prefer. What matters is Jesus and what he's done for you. And Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10 makes makes the same point. We've all been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So we've all been given that equal status of holiness before God through Jesus, that, that grace that has been given to us, that uh, sort of uncalled for, undeserved love of God for us makes us all equal. It makes us all children of God. And that is what unites us. We all have equal status. We all have equal validity. But we remain different individuals. So we're all different, but we're united in God. And as Hebrews makes the point that it's once for all, it's a permanent unity that we've been brought into because we are all now part of the body of Christ. We're all now part of that unity with God, brought into the presence of God through the sacrifice of Jesus. And there are lots and lots of examples that you can sort of think of where there are individuals, but actually when, when you look at them all sort of collectively together, you see a, a unity, you see a whole. I mean, think of a murmuration of starlings, um, which we can sort of see around us uh, at, at times right now. They're all individual birds, but when you look at them, it looks like a, a cloud. It's a three-dimensional dance. All those birds all flying together, but all doing their own thing, and yet creating that picture of unity. Think of an orchestra. Be another example. Individual musicians, each one with their own talents, each one with their own particular playing style, put them all together, and that's when you get a symphony, you get an orchestra playing as a whole, but each part of the orchestra is separate and individual. And that's what Paul is calling the church to be like, to be individuals, to be people who are working in our God-given talents, living our lives in our relationship with God as individuals being loved individually by God and yet forming that single unity, that single whole, that body of Christ. In Romans chapter 7 verse 4, 
Paul writing to the Roman church says, so my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to one another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. So that's the, the point of our unification in the body of Christ is that we're we're called to bear fruit. And what does that look like? Well, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, uh, Paul writes, uh, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that's the definition of Christian unity. That's the fruit that we bear. It comes out of the love that we have for God and the, the power and the Holy Spirit that he puts into us. That empowers us to be a unified whole and to bear that fruit of the Holy Spirit, that love and that joy, that peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And later in Galatians, chapter, same chapter, verse 25, Paul says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So again, like that, that orchestra or a marching band, every individual, but working in step, working together, working towards a unified uh, purpose, which is to bring glory to God, to bring other people into relationship with Jesus. And think about the disciples. We've been watching The Chosen recently. I really recommend it if uh, if you haven't come across it. It's a dramatization um, of the life of Jesus, and it focuses particularly on the disciples and his relationship with them and their relationship with each other and how they grow in their understanding of who Jesus is actually is. And uh, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful drama, a beautiful portrayal of all of those individuals. But they're all working together. They're all being brought together by Jesus. And they're very different people. There's a tax collector who is in hock with the Romans, who is co a collaborator with the Romans. And there's a zealot who is a revolutionary trying to overthrow the Roman Empire by killing Romans and by, by stirring up revolt. And then there are, there are fishermen who are sort of simple folk who, uh, who are just focused on, on sort of staying alive and, and making enough money to, uh, to make ends meet. A whole variety of people all brought together around Jesus as the central point. And that's the key. That's really what Paul is talking about here. He's saying we are called into unity. We are called to show love to each other. We're called to live in peace with each other, to show forbearance towards each other, to show kindness and to behave with, with goodness and gentleness and self-control so that actually we can be joyful together in our love for Jesus and in that knowledge that we have freedom we have salvation. We have eternal life with God because of what Jesus has done. And that should lift us up above sort of petty bickerings about, oh, well, I prefer this preacher or that, or yeah, well, I went to that Bible school or this, or I was 
brought to Christianity by that rabbi, as people were sort of saying in the Corinthian church. Those sorts of uh, disputes, those sorts of, of, of petty issues are not what we should be looking at as Christians. The message of the cross is the power of God. And that's the conclusion of this particular passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. The message of the cross is the power of God. It looks crazy to outsiders, to people who don't understand Jesus and what he's done for us. But to us, to those of us who know Jesus, who understand what the freedom is that he's brought us, the love of God and that relationship that we're brought into through the cross, the message of the cross is the power of God, the power of God to transform our lives, to transform us from what we were into what we wanted to be. More Christ-like people, people who can live in unity, not because we're good people, not because the people around us are necessarily good people, but because God lives in us and his love flows out from us to those around us. So Jesus is what we need. And Jesus is all we need in order to be able to love each other, to love our neighbours as ourselves and to live, as Paul is calling us to do, in unity. The message of the cross is the power of God. So my prayer is that power blesses you today and that you can live out your salvation in love to those around you and in unity.